Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zielinski. The Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now... Here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hello listeners and welcome to this very special February 3rd, Tuesday edition of the Sheila Zielinski Show. I'm your host, Sheila Zielinski, and I am very glad you tuned in from around the globe, especially a shout out to all the WWCR listeners. My guest today is an incredible, brave and courageous man. He is the pastor of the Faithful Word Baptist Church in Tempe, Arizona. He's been featured on Alex Jones. One of his documentaries entitled After the Tribulation with Almost 2 Million Views. I have the video linked there at the website. I knew after I watched those videos I had to have him on. I love what he says about being on a mission to educate people about the pre-trib rapture doctrine. And there is nothing more contentious today than the pre-trib post-trib rapture conversation. Pastor Stephen Anderson did an incredible series on the tribulation called After the Tribulation. We're going to get into that. He also has a New World Order Bible Translations documentary series on that. Pastor Stephen Anderson, welcome to the program today. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to be on. Well, you did an incredible series on the tribulation called After the Tribulation. We're going to get into that. But first, I want to talk about, in 2009, you were actually driving along, and you are the pastor. So just in case everybody wants to connect some dots here, Pastor Stephen Anderson is the pastor who was beaten and tased by Immigration Border Patrol, essentially. Tell us about that experience, Pastor Stephen. Sure, yeah. I was on my way back from work. I was working in San Diego, and I was coming back to Phoenix, and I was driving along the Interstate 8, which goes from east to west, and I didn't cross any borders. I wasn't really anywhere near the Mexico border, and I stopped at one of these suspicionless Border Patrol checkpoints, and basically they wanted to search my car, and I told them that I wouldn't let them search it without a warrant. So there was kind of a standoff that ensued for about 75 minutes where they're saying, you know, we're going to search you, and I'm telling them no. Well, finally the police showed up and told me I was under arrest, and I said, well, you know, what am I under arrest for? And the guy said, for failure to obey me right now. And this is, you know, this is all on tape. There's a video of it on YouTube. 
But anyway, finally, they said they were going to, you know, bust open my windows, take me out of the car, and, and search me whether I liked it or not. And I told them, I said, you know what, do what you got to do, but I'm not going to let you into this car. If you're going to violate my rights and come into the car, well, you know, go ahead. But I didn't expect them to, you know, beat me up and taser me because I was just sitting there peacefully protesting the violation of my rights. I wasn't threatening them in any way. So what basically happened was they started tapping on my passenger window with a little hammer, just leading me to believe that they're going to break out my passenger window, which made sense, and unlock the door. But it turned out there was another guy from the Border Patrol that was hiding on the driver's side with his baton behind his back. And I didn't know about that guy. So they told me to cover my eyes because there was going to be broken glass. So I put my hands over my face. And next thing I know, it's not my passenger window that's breaking. It's the window right next to my head that's breaking. They shattered both windows simultaneously. They shot me with a taser. And as soon as I got hit with the taser, you know, my hands just kind of jerked away from my face. And when you get hit with the taser, your whole body's paralyzed. So I'm sitting there just being electrocuted by this thing. And then next thing I know, while I'm being electrified, a hand reaches in from the left grabs my head and slams it down into the broken glass on the door frame. Because obviously if you bust out a window, there's that little mountain range of broken glass down at the bottom of the door that's still there. Yeah. So here I am. I'm already paralyzed by the taser. I'm no kind of threat whatsoever. And yet the guy just grabs my head and just starts shoving it into the broken glass, just kind of grinding my face. Into, and I could just feel the warm blood, you know, coming down my face. And all the time I'm being electrified, finally they roll me out of the car onto the ground, still, you know, pulling the trigger on that taser, and somebody steps on my head, and I'm just thinking the whole time, you know, what do I have to do to make these people stop torturing me? But finally, after 22 seconds of electricity, they finally turned off the taser, put handcuffs on me, and then they're all just standing around me in a circle yelling, get up, get up! So then I, I staggered to my feet. With my hands handcuffed behind me, they took me to a Border Patrol trailer, sat me down in a chair, did first aid on my head because it was gushing blood. And then after they got me all bandaged up, they literally stood there and laughed at me and made fun of me and said, oh, you know, because they saw that I had a video camera on the dash. They said, you thought you were going to put this on YouTube. Well, we won this time. This one's not going on YouTube because we won. Yeah. And I'm not kidding. And you can even see the video. Unfortunately, the surveillance video inside the, the trailer doesn't have sound, but you can see them kind of smiling and laughing and, and pointing at me, just mocking me. Because, you know, because they're so tough that 12 of them armed were able to, you know, humiliate one unarmed man. That's how tough they are. But it also kind of proves the point. I mean, we have morphed into the Fourth Reich, this draconian police state. This just is another abhorrent example of our rights trampled. What is this, Nazi Germany? Yeah, exactly. They charged me with two things, because, of course, they have to charge you with something after they bash your face in. So they charged me with failure to obey an officer's order directing traffic, which was pretty silly. And then the other thing they charged me with was obstructing the highway, because I'm stopped at a checkpoint where they forced me to stop. That's me obstructing the highway, even though I'm asking them the whole time if I can leave. It's just staggering. So the video is linked there on my website. It's entitled How Many Check Stops in One Morning. That, I'm assuming, was that was more recently then. 
Yeah, that was after. I, actually, there were probably about 15 videos on YouTube of me having various checkpoint encounters. And that's simply because I would go through these checkpoints multiple times per week in the course of my business because I was going back and forth between California and Arizona every week. So I would go through these checkpoints, and I always had my camcorder with me. And so about 15 of my experiences have been uploaded to YouTube. This is something I get all the time. Well, Sheila, be a nice little minion and comply and, you know, just do that nice little Romans 13 thing there. Just obey your government like a good little minion. Sit down, shut up, and just love your servitude. Uh, how do you deal with people that bin Romans 13 like that? Well, they, they don't understand Romans 13 because, you know, the Bible is teaching in Romans 13 that we should obey the higher powers. You know, and, and obviously there's a chain of command in our lives, and, and God is our supreme authority, first of all. But second of all, even in our country, there is a chain of command, and the highest power in our land is supposedly the United States Constitution. And these checkpoints are a violation of the United States Constitution. Supposedly, you know, the Supreme Court has ruled that they can do these checkpoints just to check immigration status. But in the trial that happened after that incident... You know, we proved that this checkpoint is not really anything to do with immigration. It's actually being used as a drug checkpoint or a general crime checkpoint, which has been ruled unconstitutional. And so basically immigration is just a cover for putting up this checkpoint because they actually arrest about 30 people a day or some crazy amount wow. uh, at each of these checkpoints for marijuana possession. So that's what they're really doing. They're really just trying to stop people and generate revenue by, uh, in fact, I talked to a guy who, who had been stopped at this checkpoint. He, he got arrested for marijuana possession, and then they pretty much just told him, you know, give us X amount of money, and it won't even go on your record, and we'll forget about the whole thing. You know, he went to a court <laughs> with like 40 other people, and I don't remember whether they wanted several hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. I think it was like, pay us 1200 bucks, and it won't go on your record, and everything will be great. So they're generating a ton of of revenue, but I think there's even a more sinister purpose behind these checkpoints, which is to just acclimate people to just getting used to thinking it's normal to drive through a checkpoint and having to show documentation of who you are and tell them where you're coming from and where you're going. I think it's a, a psychological conditioning, and it's also just putting the infrastructure in place that can later be used you know, when the events of the book of Revelation play out and you have to have the mark of the beast and things like that, the infrastructure is already going to be there. And instead of checking your immigration or checking for weed, they're going to be checking, you know, show me your forehead or your right hand. Well, it's really, they're usurping our rights so that we acquiesce to this new world order of complete totalitarianism. And it, it is right. just the perfect, and that's a great segue because, Pastor Stephen, I want to get into the state of the North American pulpit. I mean, my biggest bone of contention, and my audience knows this in the world today, is men will not preach the real gospel. The word of God is being diluted, watered down, dumbed down. These empty-headed congregations just suck up these motivational speeches. There really is a famine in the land for the true word of God. Churches today are too busy churning out these politically correct, let's not offend anyone, 
again, motivational seminars of name it and claim it and live your best life now. With what's coming, the church today is not going to be prepared. We just talked about the largest surveillance state ever. The largest draconian state is tightening its grip. We are expeditiously, as I said, morphing into the Fourth Reich, subverting the Constitution, ramping up the globalist agenda, the global governance. The thing that disturbs me, Stephen, is how... We are mock speeding into the cashless society and as the economy collapses and as technology advances, this really is the perfect setup, as you just said, to take the mark. And yet the mainstream church is in what I call a cotton candy coma. Does this concern you? Would you agree that the mainstream church here is in a lot of trouble? Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and the problem is definitely in the pulpits. Like you said, we don't have real men of God in the pulpits that are willing to preach the truth whether it's popular or not, as the Bible says, in season or out of season. And it's based on fear. Pastors are afraid to preach the Word of God. And it's not even because they're afraid of the government or afraid of, of laws. They're afraid of their own congregation. You know, and, and in reality, they're afraid of their own shadow. You know, I don't know why these guys are afraid to get them preached. You know, a perfect example, this, uh, this recent Arizona ruling of the, the same-sex marriage or whatever they call it, you know, the TV station came and interviewed me to get my reaction on it. And I said, well, why did you guys call me? And they said, well, we're just looking for someone that would give a negative reaction because everybody that we're talking to is either positive or neutral. And they said we called 12 other pastors who, who were against homosexuality, but none of them were willing to come on and make a statement. Oh, my goodness. They refuse to call sin, sin. Homosexuality now, Stephen, is alternative lifestyle. Abortion is freedom of choice. These abhorrent euphemisms are just reprehensible. When that news broke in Arizona about that ruling and kind of opened the floodgates for homosexual marriages, I mean, how did you personally react to that? And then in light of the fact that other pastors were too afraid to go on television, how did you feel about that? You must feel like you're kind of the lone wolf sometimes. Well, you know, sadly, it didn't really surprise me that much. But it just, it just blew me away how she called 12 other pastors, and they all basically agreed that it was wrong, but they wouldn't go on and say it on TV. And here's what they said. Well, we're just too busy loving the community to condemn what people are doing. But, you know, the Bible actually says, and this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. You know, to sit there and say... Oh, we just have so much love forever. We're just too busy loving everybody. You know, that's not really what's going on. They're scared of the controversy. They're scared of the persecution. And honestly, look, if they don't want to get up and call a spade a spade, go get an honest job. Go do something else. Because the job of pastoring is to stand up and condemn sin and cry loud and spare not. And so if these guys aren't willing to do it, they need to just get out of the pulpit and let somebody else get up there who has the guts to say what needs to be said. I really do think it's the biggest travesty today is that men will not preach the word. And intimidation is what you're touching on. I want to take that one step further, Pastor Anderson. Let's contrast the church in Corinth. It, too, seemed to be in a mess. And we can see the course of the church needed some theology change. But Paul admonishes, when you read 1 Corinthians 16:13, he says, Be on the alert, act like men. If there has ever been anything lacking today, it's lack of men. And I think slowly 
men in the West have become domesticated, effeminized, emasculated. They won't rise up. They say, oh, too much pressure. That's too dangerous. What will my coworkers say? Even these pastors that wouldn't come on TV, oh, what would my church say? Because, hey, we're just too busy. Love, love, love. Stephen, what happened to strong, godly men whose zeal for the Lord consumes them more than their relationships with people in their apostate churches? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. You know, and the, it's like the verse in the Bible that says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. And you're exactly right. It's the effeminization of the American male today. It's these skinny jeans, queer little sissies that are passing as men today. You know, we need to get back to a distinction between men and women. You know, that, that seems to be the most basic distinction but the Bible said that there would be a day when people would call good evil and evil good, and they would call sweet bitter and bitter sweet. And today, we don't even know the difference between a man and a woman anymore. And it's funny because I go down and speak at the uh, local community college a couple times a semester, and you know I try to preach what the Bible actually says about you know men's roles and women's roles and about the perversion of homosexuality. And, you know, everybody's raising their hand, oh, what about, what about people who are born with both and, you know, hermaphrodites? I mean, people don't even know the difference between a man and a woman anymore. They have these bizarre ideas. They're being brainwashed in school to where literally there's so much confusion, let alone knowing the difference between good and evil. They don't even know the difference between male and female anymore. Well, Stephen, there's transgendered bathrooms now that they're putting in schools even. It's a sci-fi. Forget the little stick man and the little stick woman with the skirt. Forget that. It's <laughs> transgender as us. You know, it reminds me of the frog in the boiling water scenario. You know, the frog in the tepid is really being acclimated to the temperature until he boils to death. Really, people have acclimated to this satanic cesspool of sodomites, haven't they, really? Oh, yeah. And, and you know what? It's been happening for decades, and it's been done through the television, Hollywood, just every day they keep showing it to you until eventually you start thinking it's normal. It's funny because I, I actually remember when a major paradigm shift happened where I lived in Roseville, California, where I grew up, just outside of Sacramento. And I remember when I was in high school, I was 16 years old, I had never even seen a sodomite, a homosexual in my life. And it was like from one year to the next, I went from having none of them in any of my classes, not knowing of any, and that was the year that Ellen, the TV show Ellen, you know, she was going to come out as a lesbian or whatever. Well, it was pulled from the air because people just couldn't handle it. But then exactly one year later, the show was put back on the air. And then the whole lineup of primetime shows had the, the sodomite characters. And then it went to where in my junior year, I didn't know of any, to where in my senior year of high school, I had one in every class. No. So it, the media is what's responsible. They've been pushing it for so many years, and they, they wear you down uh, psychologically if you're not, you know, firmly gripped to the, to the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible. They, they're able to wear you down and get you to accept the most bizarre deviancy as being normal. Well, and that's this moral meltdown, this floodgate of decay. It is Sodom and Gomorrah on steroids. Anybody can just look at a TV lineup. I mean, this absolute lascivious degeneration is just it's this filthiness and it's going to get worse but for the mainstream church hey it's kumbaya we're out of here 
We're going to get raptured out of here. So that's a good segue to get into this incredible documentary. And I want to just really say kudos for this incredible. I think it is just so well done, this documentary after the tribulation. You know, it's interesting, Pastor. There's, there's no mention of the preacher before 1830. No one taught this doctrine. In fact, the early church wouldn't have believed this doctrine. Jesus Christ certainly didn't teach it, and we didn't see it until good old John Nelson Darby the good old father of modern dispensationalism, he taught the secret rapture. I mean, he really created his own version. He removed entire verses. He corrupted entire sections. The pre-trib has really been widely received sort of since that time, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's it's very popular. You know, just this new movie that came out of starring Nicolas Cage, the new Left Behind film, just shows you how popular it is. If you go into a Christian bookstore, they have tons of the Left Behind books and DVDs and board games and action figures. So, it, you know, it's become a mainstream Christian doctrine, but there's not one shred of paper or any evidence that anyone taught or preached this before the year 1830. And, you know, in 1830, there's a, there's a newspaper article that people could point to where a teenage girl talked about the fact that she believed, because she had some revelation or vision, that there was going to be a pre-trib rapture. John Nelson Darby started teaching it in 1839, but people have bought it hook, line, and sinker, even though Jesus Christ states crystal clear in Matthew 24, he says immediately after the tribulation of those days, he says the sun and moon are going to be darkened, the trumpet's going to sound, they're going to see Christ coming in the clouds, and he's going to gather his elect. It's very clear that it takes place after the tribulation. They think that the tribulation is God pouring out his wrath on this earth, when in reality it's the devil persecuting the believers. And they don't see that distinction for some reason. But, it, it, you know, first of all, the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And all throughout the Bible we read about the, the believers being persecuted. God's constantly warning us of trials and tribulations and persecutions. So why would our generation be any different if every generation before us has suffered and gone through persecution and tribulations? Why would we be any different? And what I would strongly encourage anyone to do if they're confused about this doctrine or they don't know what to believe, I would say a good starting point is to just look up in your Bible every time the word tribulation occurs. You know, there are 22 New Testament mentions of the word tribulation. And if you look those up, it'll become obvious to you what the word tribulation means. It's, it's not the wrath of God. And also they could look up the, the synonym of affliction. And over and over again, God's talking about how we should be patient in tribulation and how we're going to endure tribulations for the word of God's sake. Um, especially the five mentions of the word tribulation in the book of Revelation, where John says that he's going through tribulation on the Isle of Patmos. And, and then they tell us, oh, well, God would never let his people go through anything like that. But yet God's people have always gone through things like that. Well, out of those 22 mentions, wouldn't you think that it would somewhere indicate we're going to be gone before the tribulation? I mean, of 22 mentions, you would think that he would talk about being gone, but I don't see that anywhere. In fact, every single thing you read, John 16.33, you will have tribulation, trouble, affliction, Acts 14.22, must endure tribulation to get into the kingdom, 1 Corinthians 7.14, be joyful in your tribulation. Over and over, it is crystal clear that we are going to have tribulation. But I think, Pastor, do you think people confuse the tribulation 
with God's wrath. We know we are not appointed to wrath, but pre-tribbers say we're not appointed to go through the tribulation, but the tribulation is not God's wrath. Those are two totally different things, aren't they? Exactly. So when you say the word tribulation, because people have been taught wrong, they're thinking of, oh, you know, water turned into blood, fire and brimstone raining out of the sky. You know, those are things when God pours out his wrath on the earth, that's after the rapture. But that's after the tribulation. And, and the, the, the key thing that proves that is when you study the concept of the sun and moon being darkened. Because Jesus said that the sun and moon would be darkened after the tribulation. And that that's when the rapture would take place and the trumpet will sound and Christ will come in the clouds. But if you go to Revelation and look for where the sun and moon are darkened, that's where God's wrath begins, after the sun and moon are darkened. So if the tribulation is before the sun and moon are darkened, and God's wrath being poured out is after the sun and moon are dark, how can they be the same thing? <laughs> and so people just need to compare Revelation 6 with Matthew 24, put them side by side, forget Tim LaHaye, forget Hal Lindsey, you know, forget what you, the televangelist told you, and just read Matthew 24, compare it with the book of Revelation, and it all comes clear. Well, yeah, Revelation 6.12, John makes it really clear there, same as, like you said, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, and 21 again. It's pretty clear when you connect all the dots scripturally, you can clearly see that Jesus comes after the tribulation. There's really no way you can twist the scripture there, can you? No, no, you can't. But what they do, though, is they quote a lot of scripture out of context. Perfect example is one of the favorite verses that people will quote to support a pre-tribulation rapture is they'll quote the verse where Jesus said, but of that day and hour knoweth no man but my Father in heaven. So they'll say, see right there, no man knoweth the day or the hour. That proves it can happen at any moment. He's coming today. But what they failed to tell you is that the verse that they're quoting is Matthew 24, verse 36. Well, Matthew 24, 36 is just a few verses after he told us that it was going to be after the tribulation. So they'll just take verse 36 all by itself and just ignore the fact that a couple verses ago in, in verse 29, he said it's after the tribulation. So it'd be like if I told you, you know what, I'm going to come on your radio show sometime after this winter. Sometime after this winter, I'm going to come on your radio show. Well, you don't know what day or hour I'm going to be on, but you know it's going to be after winter because that's what I said. So Jesus is saying, look, it's going to be after the tribulation, but no man knoweth the day or the hour. So we can't tell you a date, hey, you know, Jesus Christ is coming back in the year, you know, 2023 or something, and February 19th. We can't make a date or a time, but one thing we know for sure, it's after the tribulation. Well, and one thing I think is confused is they think that the elect, that word elect is often, I've heard people say, well, no, that's, that's talking about the nation of Israel. That's talking about... That's talking about the Jews. I mean, it is amazing how people will twist this, because if you go on to read, Paul clearly states, no, I'm not just talking about the Jews. Yeah, and, and, and what's so funny about that, to say that this is talking about the Jews, is that in Matthew 24 itself, the Bible says that the Antichrist will be so slick that if it were possible, he would deceive the very elect. So what's that saying? That it's not possible for the, for the devil to be able to deceive the elect. The elect will not be deceived. Well, here's the thing. If the Jews were the elect, then why are they so deceived? They don't even believe in Jesus. I mean, how much more deceived can you be 
if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> so to sit there and say, oh, the elect, that's Israel, that's the Jews. Again, I would just encourage anyone to look up every time the word elect is used in the New Testament. The elect are those who believe in Jesus, those who are saved. You know, for me, if somebody's wrong about this doctrine, if somebody believes in the pre-trib rapture, the, the wishful thinking, you know what? They're wrong, but it doesn't mean that I'm not going to have fellowship with them. It doesn't mean that they're not saved or that they're not a real Christian or anything like that. But but you know what? From the pre-trib side, they'll sit there and say, if you don't believe in the pre-trib rapture, a lot of times they'll say, you're not even saved. You're not even a Christian. In fact, the church that sent me out to start Faithful Word Baptist Church in Phoenix, Arizona, after I'd been here for a couple months, I preached a sermon against the pre-trib rapture, and the, the the pastor of the church that sent me out literally disowned me <laughs> you know, wow. because I wasn't pre-trib. He literally said, you know, that he can't have any fellowship with me, he can't have anything to do with me because I'm not pre-trib. And I've heard them get up and say, you know, the John Hagee types have gotten up and said, if you don't believe in the pre-trib rapture, you're not even saved. You're not even a real Christian. Now, I would never say that about those who are pre-trib, because a lot of pre-tribbers, you know, they just heard this their whole life, and, and they just, you know, they've just been deceived by it. But, you know, it doesn't mean that I hate them or, or think that they're, you know, uh, just not saved. I mean, I'm sure some of them aren't saved, but to sit there and just say that, hey, anybody who's not pre-trib is not saved, I think they have to use that kind of rhetoric because of the fact that they know they're wrong, so they have to kind of intimidate people like, hey, you better just stay with the pre-trib or we're really going to blackball you, we're going to disown you, we're going to turn on you. <laughs> but don't you find, Pastor Anderson, it's so intellectualized. I mean, Jesus is very simple. His word was very simple. His message was very simple. And I think the problem is, I mean, we're so theologically challenged in today's society. I am stunned at the amount of ignorance there is as far as people being in their Bible and studying it out. I mean, we know the church will still be on the earth when the man of sin comes on the scene, and we will be confronted with the mark of the beast. That's irrefutable. When you look at Daniel 9.27, you look at the, you know, that event, the abomination of desolation triggering the final period. I mean, it's amazing that people just absolutely refuse to look at it, and I think the danger in that is that people are simply not going to be prepared for what's coming. Exactly. And, you know, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 makes it crystal clear. Let me, just, let me just read a few verses. It says in verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And he flat out says, don't let anyone tell you that the day of Christ is at hand. It's not going to happen until... You see the man of sin, and you see him sitting in the temple of God saying that he is God. You know, until you see that, you know, don't let anybody tell you, hey, Christ can come at any moment. Well, Jesus himself, it's clear from what you just said. Jesus himself told us very clearly that 
angels would not gather the elect from the four winds until after the tribulation of those days, verse right. 21. Logically, you can see that the revealing of the man of sin and the mark of the beast in that first half of the week. Paul taught that yeah. in the day right. of the Lord, our gathering together unto him would not come until the man of sin revealed. Exactly right. Exactly. And, and so uh, basically, these are the scriptures that it's like they just don't exist to people. I, I guess they just haven't read them. And so that, that's why I'm always trying to emphasize to our church to read the Bible cover to cover yourself. You know, you can read through the whole Bible cover to cover in one year if you read about 15, 20 minutes a day, three or four chapters a day, because that's what really changed my life was the first time I read the book cover to cover, because there were so many things in the Bible that I'd never heard in church. And when I read it cover to cover, I was blown away by how many things I'd never heard, even though I'd been in church my whole life. There's so many fascinating revelations in the Bible that seldom, if ever, get preached. And I, again, I think this is a travesty because all these events are going to take place whether or not preachers preach it, and quite frankly, whether Christians want to believe it or not. And tragically, most Christians are not going to have a clue why these things are happening because they're not learning it from their church. It's absolutely right. incredible, the ignorance amongst Christians about reading real biblical facts pertaining to the tribulation. And yet, you know what's interesting is some guy took a cell phone video. He said he was stunned in his church. This man got up to the pulpit and said, listen, you know, the mark of the beast is not what you think. And I mean, it's perfectly fine, this cashless society. It's trendy. It's easy. It's simple. It's kumbaya. Let's just take the mark. I mean, it's really getting very nefarious. But at the same time, if your pulpits are telling you, hey, you know, just go with your government, you know, martial law is a good thing. I mean, it is just unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and then also there was a famous preacher recently, John MacArthur, who said, you know, you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. You know, you could still <sighs> get saved. I mean, is that cra it's crazy that somebody would even say that. When the Bible's so clear, you know, that anybody who takes the mark of the beast is going to the lake of fire and everything. But he just flat out said, you can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. But that shows you that these mainline preachers are, are getting people ready to accept the New World Order. And also, that's what our second documentary is about. You, you mentioned After the Tribulation, which, you know, like you said, has been viewed over 2 million times because it's, it's been uploaded to YouTube by about 20 different people. One of the versions has like 1.7 million views. But if you add them all up, it's like almost 2.5 million views. But our, our other documentary that we made this year was called New World Order Bible Versions, and it's about how... The new Bible versions that are coming out now, they're actually changing the Bible to prepare people for a new world order. Well, I'm Was really glad you just mentioned that because I was stunned when I went to the Tri-Cities into the biggest Christian bookstore, and when you walk in the door, Pastor Anderson, there is this massive display, and here it is, and it's right in the minute you walk in the door, and it's this nice, new, cozy little version of the NIV, and I am just absolutely stunned at how they've, they've absolutely tinkered with that Bible. They've removed entire verses out of it. It is just, yeah. I mean, I find 16 verses the NIV has removed. This is reprehensible, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and what's interesting is that the NIV that most people are used to is the 1984 edition. But now they just came out with the 2011 edition of the NIV. You can't even buy the, the old one anymore. So these new versions are constantly changing. Well, the biggest change with the 2011 version of the NIV is that it's going gender neutral in a lot of places. 
hundreds and hundreds of places. They're getting rid of any gender distinction of uh, he, him, man, wow. and, and just going gender neutral. That's the biggest difference between the 2011 and the 1984. So they're taking verses that are beautiful verses, and they make them sound stupid just in order to be gender neutral. You know, one example, there's a famous verse in the book of Micah that says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly before thy God. And there's even a song when I was a teenager, there was a, it was put to music, you know. But now they've changed it. Instead of saying, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, they've changed it to, He hath showed thee, O human being, what is good. <laughs> and these versions are claiming to be, oh, you know, this is, this is more like the common man actually talks. But, you know, I don't greet people as human one. Hello, human one. <laughs> but if you look up that verse in all the modern versions, some of them say human being, human one. And it, it's ridiculous. It's just because they're striving to make everything gender neutral. It, it's bizarre. There's a whole other very nefarious malevolent spirit behind all this transgender, the homosexuality, the whole lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered agenda. It's just, it's absolutely unbelievable. And what's really staggering, Pastor Anderson, is how many of these Christian Hillsong and all the Counting Crows and all these so-called Christian musicians saying, hey, you know what, I'm neutral, what people want to do behind closed doors. And Joel Osteen said he'd gladly attend a a gay wedding. I mean, this is just unbelievable to me. Yeah, it is unbelievable. It's almost like we're living an episode from the Twilight Zone or something. A bad episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's really really disturbing, though, about the NIV, and this is, I guess, the part that is staggering to me. I mean, it was bad enough when they came out with the Message Bible, which is a paraphrase. But uh-huh. this is the thing that I find disturbing. There are many people that are bringing that Bible to church. There are many people that are reading the message. And I really believe that the Bible is, I mean, it contains a very living word of God. So when you start changing that, I think that you start watering down the power of it and changing verses, removing verses. If it's corrupted, well, then we can see that the church is corrupted. Oh, yeah, and, and that's a big part of why churches are so corrupted now. They've gotten away from the good old King James Bible that we've had for 400 years. And by the way, there were six versions of the Bible which came out before the King James, six translations. You know, the Tyndale Bible, the Coverdale Bible, the Matthew Bible, the Great Bible, the Bishop's Bible, the Geneva Bible. And those Bibles all pretty much say the same thing as the King James. They match up with the King James. So it's not that, you know, it's just, oh, well, the King James is just another translation. All the six translations before the King James are all saying the same thing. It's only these new Bibles that have just gone completely off the deep end, changing everything, twisting everything. It's a, it's a modern phenomenon, and I think it's in preparation for the last days. Absolutely. Well, you water down the word, you water down the power and the authority. And I was yep. stunned when I see Matthew seventeen twenty one in the King James, it's howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Well, isn't that a great one to remove? I mean, wouldn't Satan just absolutely just be giggling to know that got removed? Because they asked Christ, how do we do that wrong? Well, those ones require prayer and fasting. That's a great one to remove, isn't it? Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, that's a whole verse that's removed. But just look up how many times the NIV just removes fasting in general. Yeah. It removes just the word fasting and a ton of other verses. Just 
fasting is constantly being removed. You know, the NIV, one of the other things about it, too, is it really softens the Bible, because the Bible actually uses a lot of strong language. You know, it uses words like hell and damn, bastard. You know, uh, it uses strong words like whores and whoremongers. But actually, the new versions, they, they soften all that up and make the Bible a lot nicer. And, you know, God's just really nice and really soft. And, you know, that's why the preachers are going soft, because they, they've replaced the two-edged sword of the King James Bible with, with a butter knife. I mean, if the Bible is our sole authority for all matters of faith and practice, then, you know, we better have the right Bible. Well, you know, the devil would love nothing more than to, than to give us a corrupt Bible. But, you know, I, I hate to see people get out of church because of the fact that, you know, church is important for our spiritual lives and spiritual growths, and, you know, we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But, you know, I would love to see more churches start up that are the right kind of churches. And, you know, we've we've actually started several churches because I, I started Faithful Word Baptist Church back nine years ago. But also we've sent a guy out to uh, Fort Worth, Texas that just started a church, Steadfast Baptist Church in Fort Worth. And then we sent a guy to Prescott Valley, Arizona, Brother Dave Burzens, Word of Truth Baptist. We sent a guy to Sacramento, uh, Verity Baptist Church, Pastor Roger Jimenez. And so I, you know, and I've got a bunch of guys in my church right now that are being trained to go out into the ministry and start churches in, in cities across America because we need some, you know, leather-lunged, fire-breathing pastors that understand what's going on in the times that we live in with the, uh, you know, the threats to our freedom and everything. But more than that, just have the guts to just preach what the Bible actually says. Well, and I want to commend you on your courage, and you have guts. And a pastor who's talking about the New World Order and the draconian police state and telling these guys at checkpoints, calling them out for being Nazis and talking about the NIV being corrupted and all these Bible... I mean, you are the perfect package as far as a pastor goes to us because you're actually taking on these New World Order minions. And I just think that is incredible because no other pastors really, if you think about it, do you know many pastors who are really talking about the things you're talking about, Stephen? Well, I mean, I definitely know a few. I, I know of a couple here in Arizona even that are talking about these things, that are that are awake to these things. Uh, I have a few pastor friends around here, but, but it's few and far between. But you know what? We just need to change that, though. And so that's why our church is trying to train more guys to send them out to start city, start churches across the nation. But honestly, if people live in a big city, you know, hopefully they can find something that's in the ballpark. You know, and, and there are there are still... You know, as as Paul said, there are still 7,000 men, you know, who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So, I, you know, I'd hate for people to just kind of give up on church and say, oh, there's no good church out there. There are good churches out there. There are pastors that have the guts. You know, you just have to keep looking and keep seeking them out. Well, and a church is the body of Christ. So what we need is men to rise up and and start churches, if that's the case. If you don't like the church you're in and they're watering down the gospel, then start a church, really. I mean, that is something that I think is really important and good that you, you started your church in Arizona, and that's wonderful to hear about Texas. I was stunned, even at my own church where I attended a few years ago, they were hand-printing the children with these biometrics database. Uh-huh. I thought, this is, you know, <laughs> and they just didn't want to talk about the you know, cashless society and the mark of the beast. And, I mean, it's stunning how every morning you'll see these kids lined up at the Starbucks. They're scanning their Starbucks 
app to pay. Everything is a swipe of an app. And don't get me started on the surveillance part. And MIT announced last week with the iPhone 7 software, it'll listen to every conversation all the time and even monitor your stress levels now. So I guess it can phone 911 in the event that your heart rate gets up. The technology that's unfolding we really have the technology now to take the mark of the beast. I don't know if you saw this IBM e-commerce commercial, Pastor, but there's a commercial now on TV where this guy is going through a store and he's sticking items in his pocket. And at first you think he's shoplifting. And then at the end of the, the – and I've got this linked on my website. And at the end of the video, this security guard comes up. This guy walks through a scanner and it says, Excuse me, sir, you forgot your receipt. So not only did it just tabulate all his items – but it also took it out of his bank account. And this is what IBM is promoting. You know, the simplicity of just having everything tracked, hacked, and attacked, and all this RFID technology. I mean, it's just stunning what's unfolding around us. Well, and it all sounds good. It sounds convenient, you know, until it falls into the wrong hands, except, it, you know, it's always in the wrong hands because it's in the hands of the bankers, and they're corrupt. They're of the devil. And honestly, if if we were still carrying around coins made out of gold and silver and copper, you know, they actually have real value, then they wouldn't be able to do all this smoke and mirrors and creating money out of thin air that they do. And the, the propaganda starts early. I remember being in elementary school. They showed us pictures of these African natives that are barely dressed, and they have, like, these giant rocks. And they're like, you know, this is what they use for money, you know, because they're so stupid. They don't know what paper money is. <laughs> and then they showed, like, if we didn't have paper money, you know, you, if you went to buy a car, you'd have to have a whole wheelbarrow full of coins. And they show a guy with a wheelbarrow full of, you know, nickels or whatever and going to the grocery store and dumping a bunch of change. But, you know, it's all lies because the only reason why our coins aren't worth anything is because they're not really made out of precious metals. I mean, if you actually have... <laughs> A one a one ounce gold coin, you know what's it worth? Thirteen hundred bucks or something. If you wanted to go down and buy a new car, what do you need? You know, twenty coins or something? Fifteen coins? You could have them in. You know, that's not really that cumbersome. You know, <laughs> to carry ten <laughs> coins and you know silver coins, copper coins. So you could use coins for money. But even the school textbooks when I was a kid brainwashed me into thinking, oh yeah, of course we have to have paper money. Who wants to carry around, you know, 100 pounds of metal to go buy something? But really, you would need just a few ounces of gold to, book, to make giant purchases. Or, you know, and you could have smaller denominations of silver, copper, whatever. But, Don't get me you know, started on this indoctrination of our school system, Pastor. <laughs> That's a whole other show. I mean, they really have rewritten history. And these very nefarious globalists, these satanic Luciferians, this agenda is just every... We're really being pummeled, though, six ways to Sunday on every side with the technology, the economy... It's just incredible. I mean, the Federal Reserve itself, that's a whole new show, but I'm telling you, it is absolutely nefarious. When you go back to look at, you know, the scourge that is the Federal Reserve from 1913, it's really the 100-year-old fox watching the gold-filled hen house, and, you know, we just celebrated 100 years of the Federal Reserve, and yet people still think this Federal Reserve is a government agency, which is just... Yeah, it's, it's, it's private, it's private bankers. You know, who knows who they are because of course they don't really disclose who the real owners are of any of these central banks. And you know, the Rothschilds and all their minions have basically set up central banks in virtually every country in the world. Yes. And they control the money supply 
and they control the wealth. And here's the thing. If you control the wealth and you have an unlimited supply of money, then you control the media because you can buy up all the TV stations. You can buy up the newspapers. You can print all the textbooks. And then you can control people's minds, and that's exactly what they're doing. And now they've even gotten into the Bible business, and they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to subvert Christianity by publishing new versions of the Bible that change everything and go gender neutral and tamper with key biblical doctrines. And, you know, when you walk into the Christian bookstore, that's what's going to be front and center. You know, to find the King James, you've got to sit there and dig around, you know, because the thing that's front and center is the NIV and the New Living and the ESV, because those are the ones that have the money behind them. And these publishing houses are owned by the same people who are controlling the TV stations. It's, it's just a few corporations that are in the hands of people who literally are of the devil. Well, and it's sad. Satan's always corrupting and twisting and, and mutilating everything that God made. And even this transhumanist agenda, you know, it goes back to the lie in the Garden of Eden. You can become like gods, and we're really mock-speeding into that whole super soldier. Every movie you see now is Robocop and Transcendence with Johnny Depp. It's Ray Kurzweil and steroids. I mean, I, I'm very worried for our children. I think it's just... It's very sad what they're going to have to be facing here, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and, and that's why I would recommend, obviously, you know, homeschool your children is a great place to start. Yes. All of our, we have we have eight children, and, <laughs> you know, they're all, they're all being homeschooled. And uh, not only that, but just, you know, we don't have a TV in our house. So, you know, no TV, homeschool the children. And you say, oh, what do they do? Well, you know, they actually read books and actually play outside and actually interact with human beings, you know. And basically, we need to make sure that our kids are not just turned over unto Satan to be, to be taught in the school system. And then they come home and then they watch a TV that's controlled and, and propagandized. And, and, uh, and, th and then you wonder why they don't believe the way that we do. Well, it's sad. It, I mean, get rid of that noise box, people. That is the best thing that you could ever say is get rid of that TV, that indoctrination box. There's a reason they call it programming. I absolutely agree. Homeschooling is the way to go. It is essential. I mean, this common core-infused sci-fi they have in schools now is just disgusting. I mean, Pastor Anderson, in the waning moments, what do you think the most important thing is for people to be aware of? in these end times? Well, the most important thing, I believe, is, our, is basically knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and just having a Bible and reading it and believing it. You know, and, and the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the most important thing, is having everlasting life by believing in Jesus Christ. And then beyond that is to have a King James Bible, read it every day, that's how you're going to overcome all the brainwashing and propaganda, because the Word of God is going to is going to you know give you the right viewpoint on all things. Absolutely. Well, I really want to thank you, Pastor Anderson, for coming on. Give out your website for folks, and especially if anyone wants to know how they can support you. And I really recommend that people, if you don't belong to a church in Arizona, really look up his church in Tempe, Arizona. I, you've just done such an incredible job with your videos, your documentaries, your bold stance on the word, and not compromising amidst a vast sea of compromise and apostasy. I just, I'm very thankful that you're a beacon out there. 
Well, thank you very much. The, the church website is faithfulwordbaptist.org. And then the website for the movies is framingtheworld.com. And then, you, you know, they're on YouTube also. They can go on YouTube and search, you know, After the Tribulation, New World Order Bible Versions, the Book of Revelation. We did a 22-hour uh, teaching through the Book of Revelation. That's uh, It's like a documentary. And so it's, it's all out there, framingtheworld.com for the movies. Framingtheworld.com, and we have that link to our website. Again, please do watch After the Tribulation, folks, that New World Bible translation. They're just excellent information. And again, I, I think it's wonderful that Alex Jones actually covered that. That is something that it's got almost 2 million hits. Well, somebody's getting the information, and I think that's the biggest piece. Ignorance is one thing, but when you have the information, then you're responsible to do something with that. Pastor Anderson, thank you for your time for coming on the program, and God bless you for what you're doing. God bless you too. It's my pleasure to be on. You will rarely find a message now on repentance. Look at what has become of the world, Church of Christ, through you, losing what you should have been. But God waits for His people. God waits for His people. When will they take the stepping stones God has placed in His Word? church that has forgotten its foundations, a church that's turned away from its beginnings and begins to become a harlot church. Just, just tell me how blessed I am. Just tell me I'm, I'm, I'm going to be powerful and popular and going to have no trouble in my life. For the, just tell me these things. Watered down. Half-truths. This gospel says, just believe and get saved. There's nothing of repentance, nothing of godly sorrow, nothing of turning from your sins, nothing about taking up your cross and following the Lord. But people who say a little prayer said, you're fine, you're good. People believe that any standard, even if the New Testament is legalism and bondage and law, any standard is law. I'm under grace, I can do anything. Oh, that's from the devil. Now we've revised that and said, if you can get people for one hour on Sunday morning in the building, that's the church. That's not the church. We can use every device we want to get people for one hour and keep it early and keep it moving and keep it going. But that's not the church Jesus built. And I'm embarrassed to be part of the church of Jesus today because I believe it's an embarrassment to a holy God. Most of our joy is clapping our hands and having a good time and then afterwards we're talking all the dribble of the world. Don't talk to us about holiness or separation from the world. Don't, we don't want to hear that, folks. People today don't want to hear anything they call gloom and doom. If, if it's not smooth, it's gloom and doom. Well, friend, let me tell you lovingly, go to hell and live with all the scum of the earth. You like to drink, go with the drinkers. You like to lust, go with the prostitutes. To have been covered in something deceptive to find in the last moments of your life that the feet coming down the hallway are not taking you to heaven. You can get through the deception your whole life. You can even sing in the choir. And I think we better watch this business of, you know, God loves you, God loves you, and all the bumper sticker sloppy evangelism. Will you remind people of the goodness and the severity of God? Will you remind them that there's a day when mercy is cut off forever? 
Will you remind them that people pray in hell but nobody ever answers? But in spite of what God has spoken, they create a garment of fig leaves and they cover themselves and say, all is well, all is well. And they seek out a church that won't challenge their sin, that won't expose this hypocrisy for what it is. I'd rather you get mad at me and go to heaven. This so-called love gospel today only reaches the flesh. It can't get to the heart. It can't dig into sin so that there can be a cleansing. And if I'm a surgeon of the Holy Ghost, I'm not going to put a bandage on you when you've got cancer sticking out of a bone or, or on your flesh. We're going to say, hey, we got to get in there. It has to be dealt with. And we do. I don't care if you like me, but I'm a good surgeon and I know what I'm doing and I'm going to get your cancer out. This is the reason why some who are listening even now and will be listening to tapes in the future, you just can't lighten up and enjoy these theologically shallow experiences like so many around you are today. Everyone around you saying, oh, lighten up, lighten up. God's love, God's good, God's kind, God is nice. Come to church in your Bermuda chart. Stick your feet on the altar rail. Have a coffee and cookies with us. We'll hear three-point messages on nothing about God. But there's a stirring in you. There's a stirring in the true bride in this generation. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A diluted gospel is no gospel at all. And if you don't believe this is happening in our generation, I challenge you to go to a Christian bookstore this week. Find the best sellers. Ask them which are the best sellers and look at them. Look at the covers. They're the images of men, not the images of God. Five steps to be like me. Five steps to better yourself. Five steps to the new you. Five steps to a wonderful destiny with their glossy faces on the cover. Not so subtly telling the Church of Jesus Christ, if you use the principles of God, you will look like me. In the 14th chapter of Romans, and he says, we, so he writes, of even to believers at the judgment seat, we must all, there's no exception, we must stand at the judgment seat of Christ. You can't send your lawyer, you can't send a representative. Because one day, it doesn't matter if your friends approve of you, it doesn't matter how many albums you sell, one day the Bible says, I'm going to stand in front of the one whose eyes are like fire, and I can't get over on him. All of you that sing in that choir, it's not just if you're on your note, it's why you're on your note. Can you see all the saints of all the ages, and Leonard Ravenel is standing there before a Christ, whose eyes are full of holiness, where the place is breathing holiness, where there's all the majesty of an awesome God? And he reads the record of my poor life before all the saints of all the ages. Answer God, all you theologians reasoning out my theology. Just answer God, are you pure in heart? And you became enamored with your own beauty. And your whole theological focus now is how you can be smarter, better, better looking, more prosperous. You lost the call of God, church. You made it a place just to make a buck. So out with you. Church of Christ with God, when will you grieve more? Hunger, thirst of the righteousness. Now I'm going to tell you something. A diluted gospel is no gospel at all. Become new, but when the church is in the state we are, the standard is not preached or lived or presented. We need to see God back for the standard of this book, not men's standard. What Christ says, I'm not presenting to you some holiness of a holiness movement. I'm teaching to you Christ's word that the only holiness is not heresy. I want to challenge you with everything in me. Put away lifeless religion. Put away empty pursuits of God. Put away all of the deception of the carnal nature. Holy, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's God's words, not mine. Would to God that Episcopalian 
Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal pastors begin to stand up and see what's happening to the church that was once called the Church of Jesus Christ. Backsliding, turning apostate, turning against the truths of their founding fathers. When I see the church in the New Testament, they didn't have stately buildings. They didn't have paid evangelists. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have organization. They did, couldn't get on TV and beg. But I'll tell you what they did. They turned the world upside down. But are you big enough to say, Lord, in this crucial hour in human history, let me fill up the sufferings of Christ. But if the Holy Spirit is truly, truly upon you in this generation, you will not be satisfied. You will not be found among those who sit in supposed houses of God with your feet on the altar rail and a cup of coffee in your hand listening to a PowerPoint sermon about a Christ they don't know. You'll not be satisfied. Because if you're going to get mature in God, all the dwarfs around you will criticize and sneer at you and say you're trying to be holier than the rest of us, huh? For God has not merely given us Jesus Christ, He's given us all things. And because there isn't enough joy in the house of God, we need entertainment. Because entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. We're living in a time, as the prophet Malachi said, when those who feared the Lord are going to get together one more time and think on His name, and a book of remembrance will be written for them, and they will return, and they will know the difference between those who serve God and those who don't serve Him. Folks, we've got to deal with sin. We've got to deal with things that in life, you know, they're divorcing and all these things we have to do something about. We have to face a holy God one day. There's a great trial coming, folks, for everyone. Praise God. He's going to deliver the true believer. I want you to change your message. I'm telling you now, the judgment is at the door. The handwriting is on the wall. The whole world is shaking. And you're amusing this people. Even if you have to bury your theology, sir, just bury it tonight and get right with God. To turn from your sin, for all this society is about to come under the justice of God.